This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of World to Win. Before we start, you already know the drill. Please uh, subscribe to our channel and also click the bell button so you're notified whenever we upload a new video or whenever we... Um, whenever we go live and also just a reminder that we're also available on basically every big platform for podcasts so if you don't have time to watch this you can always go on any of the platforms that you would normally go to and please subscribe because more and more people are tuning in on our, our podcast platforms so be good to kind of keep in touch there as well um so before we start the episode i just want to say hello to my co-host how are you doing doya I'm doing great, Yara, trying to survive this heat wave that we're experiencing in New England. It's unbearable. I mean, it sounds like a nightmare here. I'm actually quite chilly, so I love how every time we do this, we we kind of update each other on the weather. I mean, it's it's insane. It's just like this with climate change, but that's not what today's episode's about. So let me not get started. Yeah, I mean, I think to, everyone can tell, not just, like, I don't think even... It, even if we didn't put a title on this, everyone will know what we're going to talk about uh, today. We're obviously going to talk about the major developments that have been happening in Afghanistan. Um, so we're going to do that, but we're going to do it in a classic world to win way. We're going to bring a socialist analysis on Afghanistan because I think that there's something that's definitely been missing from all of the things that we've been hearing about it. So I think the main thing that we need to ask here today is what now for the Afghan people? Yeah, we totally need to talk about that. And we also need to talk about um, what could have happened. I mean, here in the US, this is all people are talking about. You know, this war um, had been going on for 20 years. Even some of our viewers maybe have been born into um, this war, you know, going through school. We learned about it in the US in school. And now we're seeing, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people trying to evacuate the, you know, terrible pictures of people hanging on to planes, the, you know, tragedies that have happened at the airports. Um, and, you know, the U.S. was claiming that the Taliban wouldn't take over. And now, you know, we all know what we're seeing now. It's it's chaos. It's panic. Um, and so, you know, we want to talk how we got to this point here today. Yeah, and I think what you're saying about how a lot of our viewers I'm going to basically I'm going to remember a time where the US wasn't in Afghanistan. I think that's a major thing like this has been going for so long and I also think there's a lot of nuance to talk about here because you know there's a lot we we're hearing basically every voice from the left saying something else. Some are saying shouldn't have been there in the fir first place. Some are saying shouldn't have left. Some are saying it's imperialism. Some are saying it's not non-imperialism. So I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, from one of our World to Win veterans today. Rob, how are you doing, Rob? I'm good. Um, we thought that August was going to be a quiet month. At least we hope for that every year here. But of course, the events in Afghanistan have had the same effect here. People are talking about them. Um, the government, of course, are gloating about the Americans having uh, been defeated and uh, giving us lectures about how the Americans shouldn't have been there in the first place. But the reality of it is, of course, that all these superpowers are gloating and arguing against each other. But the Afghan people are going through a, a horrific time. 
the, the people at the airport, it's one thing. You've got millions and millions of people living in absolute dire poverty in Afghanistan. Our comrades earlier in the week um, got a message from women in Afghanistan who have been fighting for women's rights over the uh, past 20 years. And one of the uh, women commented, well, there's been demonstrations across the world in solidarity, but nothing in China or in Russia. So it was a bit of a challenge to us. Um, we can't allow Russia to go to get away that easily. So our comrades organized a picket at one day's notice at the embassy. And we had a big response. There was over a thousand five hundred people who liked the initial call. We didn't expect anywhere near that number because of repression to come. And of course, it was a relatively small one person picket. Uh, plenty of TV cameras there, but the police were very were very um, uh, ruthless. As soon as comrades took their placards out, the police arrested them. Six comrades were arrested. Two spent two nights in jail and uh, were then fined around about $2,500 each, which compared to what the uh, uh, wages here are, is an absolutely phenomenal crippling uh, fine. They could have had 30 days in jail. But the response from ordinary people has been tremendous. They've been covered by all the opposition media. Uh, new people have been in touch. We found out today that a theatre director from Siberia heard about it and was so angry he's written to Putin himself to complain. So uh, it's, it's had a big effect that somebody has stood up, uh, not only for women's rights here, but for women's rights in Afghanistan as well. Wow, that's extremely inspiring. And if you um, are watching or listening here today and you participated in, uh, you know, one of these solidarity protests around the world, let us know and solidarity, solidarity to the young people um, in Russia who, you know, are facing these fines, Rob, I hope everything is okay with them. Um, so I want to get into some of this, you know, nitty gritty talking about Afghanistan, because like Yara mentioned, you know, we're hearing all sorts of things across the spectrum about what happened, what should have happened. Um, and so I'm excited here to talk, you know, a true Marxist perspective about that. And from what we've seen, um, you know, the Taliban have taken the country by storm. It seemed to happen so quickly, um, you know, after Biden announced the uh, withdrawal of U.S. troops, which has been a talking point of the president's ever since I could vote. You know, we're going to get out of Afghanistan. We're going to get out of Afghanistan. Um, but the Taliban has taken, you know, control extremely quickly. Rob, what is your take on this? You know, how come nobody saw this coming? How come this couldn't have been predicted? Well, I think it could have been predicted. I think if anybody had a sober analysis of the situation, they would have seen that the government that has been propped up uh, in one form or another by over 20 years by US imperialism in particular, but supported by many other countries, is really a, um, it's a government with no, no social basis. Uh, even in the last election last year, Although uh, Ghani won the election, it was on a turnout of less than 20%. And it's quite clear that there was no real support. The regime has been racked by corruption, um, undemocratic uh, moves and so on. And over 20 years, the US in particular, but other imperialist countries have joined in with this as well. But they've spent $2.2 trillion on the intervention in Afghanistan. That was five times the accumulated GNP or GDP for those 20 years. If instead of putting troops in, it had been financing education, healthcare, 
proper jobs, the Afghan people would now be living in a relatively well-off situation. You wouldn't have the widespread poverty. You would have had probably a more popular government. And of course, the Taliban would have no basis in society because Taliban gets its support from the, from those layers that are absolutely desperate to get out of the current situa situation they're faced in. Anybody who had a really sober analysis would have seen that the government that has been supported by the uh, imperialist powers was actually a, a fiction. It didn't have a real basis in society. And the Taliban took over, not particularly because they were super strong, but because the government and the intervention itself was so weak and it just had no support. You could see it crumbling that some of the warlords who in the past were part of the Northern Alliance, who fought the, uh, who fought the uh, previous Taliban government and so on, they were prepared, if the Afghan army had agreed, to have a joint um, campaign against the Taliban to stop it coming to power. But then the army collapsed and the warlords fled, fled the country because they saw no future for themselves. That, that, that really indicates how bad the situation was because of this intervention. Thanks for that, Rob. I mean, what we're seeing here, you know, in social media and the corporate media is this chaotic evacuation after the Taliban entered the capital, which is, you know, reminiscent of what we saw in the 70s, um, you know, during the or after the war in Vietnam, uh, you know, the U.S. military, which is, you know, the largest, most funded military in the world, um, basically, yeah, defeated or, you know, caught uh, with their pants down, you might say. Um, and it's a huge blow to this like prestige of, of US uh, imperialism and its role in the region. And, you know, we've seen reports and, and videos of, uh, you know, what actually was going on. What was the money of uh, the US military, be, you know, being used for um, in Afghanistan? What's your take on this, you know, uh, with kind of the status of uh, the US military and US imperialism in this part of the world? Well, yes, of course. I'm, I'm not quite old enough to remember the pictures of the evacuation from Saigon. Um, I do remember the uh, desperate fleeing from uh, Tehran uh, a decade or so uh, later. And it's it, really what has happened here is just one more in a long line of disasters for imperialism, in particular US imperialism in this uh, situation. Uh, I, I mentioned the sum of money that the US government had uh, spent on this war. 500, 500 billion, that's a quarter of that money, went to the banks in interest rates, uh, which makes you ask the question, who is, whose war was this, whose interest was this war uh, solving? It seems to me that some of the banks and the big arms companies were making more money out of this than the, uh, the people in Afghanistan itself were uh, having their lives saved. But I think there is another important uh, aspect to this, the departure from Saigon in the middle of the original Cold War was a major defeat for Western imperialism. And the reality of it was it was a victory for the working class because the Vietnamese war was a war against capital. It was against landlord, it's against the feudal structures. It was fought by a, a, basically a guerrilla army. And the departure of the US was seen as the mightiest imperialist power actually being defeated by a relatively poor backward country. 
And it says a lot about wars. Wars are not just fought, fought and won by those who have the best weaponry. Wars are often fought by who has a social basis in society. But in Afghanistan, of course, we can't say. I, I, I've, I've seen comments in social media from, from supposed left-wingers who are close to various communist trends, uh, Stalinist, Maoist trends and so on, who, who have been celebrating this, uh, this departure. I mean, apart from the fact you can't celebrate because of the suffering of the people around the airport, it's, it's, it's an absolute tragedy for those people as well as for the Afghan people. But it, you, you can't celebrate it either because what has come to power is not a more progressive government, but a, a, a feudal reactionary, religiously extremist government that is going to attack not only any opposition movements, it's going to be devastating for women, it's going to be devastating for children, it's going to be devastating for young uh, girls in the schools and so on. And so there's no way we should just applaud the victory uh, against American imperialism without understanding that situation has arisen as well. I think this is so true and especially in the context of you know how Afghanistan has basically never been a country that had any representation for the people uh, and, and like you know just moved around from one imperialist hand to another it's I think when we're seeing so many people talking about kind of like the Taliban and the rule there it's, it's, it's just so incredible to see how even, you know, the imperialist powers now would uh, start to talk about how, uh, you know, they will recognize the Taliban's government, the Taliban's changed, all, all things like that. Seeing how it, how it happens, what, what happens. And then, you know, a couple of days ago, we've seen this massive terrorist attack that uh, we, we already talked about a little bit. Um, so I think... My main question about this is, do we think the regime right now is going to ever find any kind of stability or legitimacy, both from the Afghani people, but also internationally? I think let, let's deal with the international situation first. I mean, uh, as I said, when the, um, we saw a wave of, uh, uh, of gloating, if you like, from America's opponents around the world, whether it was from um, uh, former Stalinists or dictators like Ch the Chinese regime or, uh, or President Putin and so on, who, were, who gloated in the early days about this. But the reality of it is they are all very worried about what is going to happen. There is, a, there is a feeling, and it's true, that China and Russia have been strengthened out of this because their main opponent in the, in the current Cold War has been weakened. But they're also very concerned that Afghanistan is going to be a source of instability on its borders. China has a border. Russia has no direct border, but it, it has a, a security agreement with the Central Asian countries and so on. Uh, Iran is worried. Turkey also doesn't have a border, but it's strengthening its wall and so on. And I heard today that Greece is doing the same to try and, to try and uh, prepare for a wave of refugees and so on. And it's not just refugees that they're worried that will uh, spill out. It's the idea that within Afghanistan, you could have the development of new, more extreme, even than the Taliban, uh, extremist groups like ISIS-K, responsible for the bombing yesterday, or some of the Tajik terrorist groups that are supposed to be uh, uh, being strengthened in the present period. And, and so all these regimes are very concerned about the stability of the country, but they have no answer. But we should also remember the point that the Taliban 
was a direct result of the American intervention in Afghanistan when the Soviets were occupying Afghanistan. And actually, to the credit of the Soviet Union, at least they, they recognized secular rights in the country. There wasn't the same repression of women as then developed when the Taliban took over and then, uh, and then uh, started. But the Americans built up the different uh, Muhajin groups, the different uh, Muslim uh, reactionary groups in opposition to the Soviet troops. And when the Soviet troops left, um, 1979, I think, um, 1989, I think it was, uh, when the Soviet troops left, of course, these groups uh, saw it as a victory. They gained, uh, they gained confidence. They began to take over the region. They came to power. Then you had the new civil war uh, breaking out with the Northern Alliance involved and so on. And I think this is what you're going to see now. So you will probably see splits developing the Taliban, which will be a source of instability. You'll have the growth and strength of groups like ISIS-K, responsible for yesterday's act and so on. And you'll also have groups that are sponsored by the Chinese, by the Russians, probably by the Americans and the uh, British who have a long history in Afghanistan as well. And all of those groups as well will add into the mix and we'll come to another situation where you have uh, inter-clan, inter-ethnic uh, civil war developing because, because of the inability of the government to resolve the problems. Yara, this whole discussion and debate on Afghanistan, you know, here in the U.S. is very interesting to discuss, you know, across the generations, you know, because like we were saying before, you have people who have been radicalized by world events, but were born into this war. Um, you know, you had people who were adults when the war started. And then you have people like myself, you know, the millennial generation who we watched on TV, the September 11th attack. And then, you know, the following years we went to school and, you know, all we talked about was this, I don't want to say all we talked about, but a lot of what we talked about was, you know, propaganda in support of this war. You know, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance um, like we always did, but then sometimes we would follow off by, you know, singing this ridiculous song about how I'm, I still remember all the words, you know, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. You know, those were the words that we were singing because one of the ideas that they were trying to push on us was that, um, we were liberating women, you know, in Afghanistan, the women have to cover their faces. They have to cover their hair. They're not allowed to go to school. We're going there to liberate them. This was this, uh, you know, this was a, a way to get us supporting this, you know, and then 2008, 2009 happens people lose their jobs. And my generation, we then joined the war that's been going on for almost a decade to continue to liberate women. You know, women have been a, in the U.S. a central part of this, uh, you know, war machine propaganda. Um, and so the situation that we're seeing now where, um, you know, women have been and are going to be, uh, you know, attacked and their rights taken back is it's it's uh as a woman, especially, it's it's very scary, uh, you know, situation to think about. Yeah, I think, I think so, definitely. You know, like, I think it's it's really important, like, when people say that, because I've heard it all the time, obviously, growing up in uh, Israel and Palestine, it's uh, like the, the propaganda about this war in Iraq as well has been constantly, you know, pumped in schools, pumped on TV. And the idea of, like, 
we're liberating women and that's why it's a good war has been constant. And I think that the point that Rob made actually before about how the US actually funded the you know forefathers of the Taliban. It's not like the Taliban came out of nowhere. They were supported by the US government and the, that, that regime, you know, that, um, that was so oppressive to women was actually supported originally or built through uh, US funding. So saying that the US is liberating women in Afghanistan is obviously ridiculous and it's never, uh, we, we, we can't, you know, have this illusion that any, in any way liberating women was the reason to enter Afghanistan. But like, yeah, we do need to kind of point out the fact that uh, there the was kind of like an increase in women's rights um, uh, after the Taliban were taken uh, down by the US uh, entry. But saying that women were liberated is far from the truth. You know, like we've seen, you know, sexual violence, uh, gender violence, oppression, uh, still extremely widespread. It's not like, uh, you know, the troops came in and liberated women and now everyone's ha happy and, 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 uh, and free. Um, and I think it's really important that we, we kind of stress the role that the US had in getting the Taliban to where it was in the first place. And also mentioned that even though there were some, you know, benefits for women's rights, there's still wide oppression of women in Afghanistan and there was before the Taliban took power again. Yeah, and I think another thing we we should think about is, uh, you know, just this role of internationalism that we've seen over the past few years, especially with this pandemic, this new consciousness that we're seeing among young people, especially of international solidarity, I think is so important. Um, you know, and like uh, Rob mentioned earlier with the solidarity protests happening around the world, um, I think, you know, now more than ever, uh, a strong women's movement is needed um, to talk about, educate and, and fight back against atrocities like this. And so Rosa International um, just put out a statement about it. You can find it in the link below. It's really great. Um, share it. Um, and if you do, you know, some solidarity protests um, about the conditions of women, about the refugee crisis, um, please let us know and uh, post them to social media, tag Rosa International so we can share them around the world. Yeah, I think that is exactly it. You know, like when we think now where kind of women's struggle generally is compared to 1996, which is when the Taliban first got hold of Afghanistan, it was, it, you can't even compare the, the, the situation. And I think that also gave kind of like the, the, the kind of force for ta the Taliban to completely, like entirely kind of repress and oppress women. But now they're in a different situation, you know, we are seeing that ridiculous PR campaign where they're going like, oh, we're going to give women, uh, give women rights, we're going to respect women's rights. And it's just, it's on the one hand ridiculous to see the Taliban claiming that they're going to do that. And obviously we shouldn't have any illusions in that. But it's also an interesting point for us as Marxists to see how this kind of backdrop of like you said, this global resistance, this global women's movement, how that is actually making even the most, you know, repressive um, uh, governments uh, and organizations in the world have to make certain changes. But is, I want to ask Rob this, is it uh, big enough of a change to say that the Taliban's really changed and uh, now we're going to see 
you know, a new era of the Taliban. Yes, I think there is another important point here that in the West we read, as you've uh, both uh, just said, about the war being in defence of women's rights and so on, liberation of women. But it has been an improvement of women's rights for a fairly restricted layer of Afghan women. Those who live in the cities, some of them are in parliament, there's a deputy um, president and so on, uh, who, who have um, won positions in the past period. But the liberation of women, for the vast majority of women who live away from Kabul and in the uh, countryside areas, hasn't had any effect at all. You have 43%, uh, only 43% of the population are literate. And the proportion is even lower amongst the women. You've had continued attacks against women. 390 women have been killed in Kabul this year through, um, uh, well, I want to call it domestic violence, but that's not the right word. But the general oppression of women that comes from a religious, from this uh, religious uh, domination and so on. You have 55% um, uh, of the population live without clean water, even more without proper sanitation. And of course, in those conditions, you can't talk about women being liberated in any sense. It's a small proportion. Has the Taliban changed? Well, I heard, a, I heard an example that um, Taliban militants in Kabul were heard using uh, mobile telephones, taking selfies on mobile telephones and telling each other to watch the Twitter reports that are coming through. Well, in that sense, the Taliban has changed because when it had power before, telephones were banned. People weren't allowed to use them. So certainly there's been a certain change. I think the situation now is that after 20 years of struggle, particularly by women, women are no longer going to accept uh, a new Taliban uh, repression of women. And in the cities, the Taliban will probably uh, be forced to be more liberal because otherwise they'll face too much opposition. But in the countryside, and Afghanistan is mainly country, mainly rural areas, uh, you, will find, you will find that the Taliban is uh, just as uh, bad as it was before, just as, uh, just as uh, religious, just as, um, as uh, anti-women as it was before. Taliban today have said, apparently, uh, according to Al Jazeera, that uh, it is going to form a new inclusive government in which there will be different ethnic groups and so on, which is what all the imperialist powers have been asking for. But if it cannot solve one of the single economic issues, it can't resolve this situation of the economy. It cannot, it, it, it certainly won't be able to resolve the question of rights of women, uh, democratic rights of youth and so on. Uh, it, it's going to find no stability on, on that arena either. And I think that notwithstanding the shock that you've heard in the uh, main in the Western press during the week, in the pro-capitalist press during the week, that Taliban have come to power, they'll consolidate their position. The Taliban has changed. I think that is another wishful thinking illusion, if that's the right phrase to use. They're hoping against hope that things aren't going to be so bad. So if the Taliban then say, well, we're going to allow women to be represented in parliament, uh, they can teach, they can, uh, they can uh, work in the health service, which is what they're saying at the moment, although I don't think many people believe that that is really going to happen. That's actually not going to be that much different from what happens anyway uh, at the current uh, position.
but it's going to leave the vast majority of women again in Afghanistan in a dire situation. So, yes, I think um, uh, Yara said made the point about international solidarity. We do. We have a major campaign in order to uh, support people who are in uh, in Afghanistan fighting for their rights. They, they exist. There are many of them. I read the phrase uh, this week that, um, uh, what was the phrase, that we, we are not stoppable. And I think that's something that should give us encouragement. That there are already people beginning to prepare to resist the new Taliban regime. So, Rob, we've talked a lot about, you know, what has happened. We even went into a little bit of the history, you know, starting in the late 80s, um, early 90s. And, you know, we're talking about the situation we're in now. Um, you know, the 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 war is one thing. The Taliban uh, uh, takeover is another. But we still have issues of of poverty. We still have issue of, you know, Less than five percent of the population in Afghanistan um, is vaccinated from 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 COVID nineteen. You know, which has uh, been a theme of a lot of the things we've talked about. You know, on this show, but we haven't really touched on on today. Um, but what uh, you know, what can we do going forward? What is the way forward for the people um, of Afghanistan? You know, even though they're in this uh, uh, situation that was created by things outside of their control. Well, of course, um, many people look on this situation as if we have to go in from the outside to solve the problems of the Afghan people. But the reality of it is the solution of the situation in Afghanistan is the responsibility in the first place of the Afghan people. It's needed if I was there, I would be arguing now uh, for the building of a mass movement against the uh, Taliban. And I would have on the banner, not just we're against the Taliban, but I would link it to all the question of economic and social rights, of proper living standards, of taking over the natural resources. It's reported this week that in Afghanistan, there is something like $1 trillion worth of minerals that could be exploited. Um, I'm using that word cautiously because at the moment it's the Chinese and the, uh, particularly the Chinese are looking to exploit it because there's a lot of lithium, lithium in Afghanistan, which of course is used in electric cars. It's a key component of the batteries and so on. Uh, so you can imagine that the Chinese companies are, are licking their lips already, uh, thinking how can we get our hands on this uh, stuff? Well, that, that, that should be the property of the Afghan people. You should have a mass movement should take over all those natural resources to start to use them to build proper homes, proper schools, proper health care and so on. And of course, if that was to happen, you would have uh, central to that, of course, would be what trade unions that do exist. Uh, there, there are a few. They're very weak. They're very, very repressed and so on. And I think in the last couple of years, they've not been particularly active. But uh, if if things begin to develop in that way, you could see new trade unions develop. You have a women's movement that could develop, the youth movement through the universities and so on could provide a powerful force. And then our task would not be to go in and tell them how to do this and how to do that. Our task would be to give them solidarity and to make sure that they're not isolated in Afghanistan. We need to be able to build strong socialist organizations in the other, in the other countries of that region, in Pakistan, in Iran, in Central Asia and so on, in China, of course, where our comrades are heroically working away to uh, to maintain uh, some form of organization. And uh, that that is the best way that we could help by offering assistance and solidarity 
and, and working together with people who are prepared to fight within the country. Thank you so much, Rob. This has been so interesting. And I have to say that I feel like I know a lot more about what's happening in Afghanistan now because, you know, we keep saying, um, uh, well, a lot of us don't remember a time when the US wasn't in Afghanistan. I was six years old when the invasion happened. So this is really helpful in understanding the context of it and also what the socialist position is about this. And I think the last points that you made were extremely like powerful because, as you said, it's very easy for us to kind of dismiss the questions of uh, uh, of what like what can the Afghan people do and what 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 is good for the Afghan people and I think that uh, it's really important that we talk about kind of like the solidarity in the region and the people fighting for an actual you know system that will sustain them properly and not leave them to the kind of whims of the imperialist uh, powers so thank you so much for being here but before you leave uh i know we mentioned it a few times in this episode but the shout out of the week uh this week is going to be for the protest the protests in russia where our comrades uh, were arrested uh, and these were exactly the, the protests that we talked about now so there's obviously the, the level of say repression in uh, russia rob talked about it a little bit before is incredible uh, and it's always really inspiring to hear what our members uh, do in Russia despite this level of, of repression. But it also means that we need to get solidarity uh, internationally uh, for them when things like being arrested uh, happen. So, Rob, what can we do as an international, as the people watching, as our viewers, what can we do to help uh, in this case? Well, I think the response of uh, internationally. Uh, on uh, Sunday night and Monday morning after these, uh, sorry, on Monday night and Tuesday morning after the arrest took place was, was, a, was a key example of what can be done. First of all, uh, uh, Nick Barry, for example, phoned at the earliest opportunity the Russian embassy in Dublin, raised the issue with them. Comrades in other parts of the world have contacted the embassies. They have sent solidarity photographs and so on. And they've certainly shown a lot of concern for the comrades and even uh, even just sending them messages of support so that their enthusiasm, uh, is, their morale is kept up and so on. Of course, here, whenever anybody is arrested, we have people outside the uh, police stations. We make sure that they get food, they get clothing they need. Um, if possible, they get a, a bath if the telephone, if they can use it and so on. So we always back it up. And there are uh, organisations here that provide them with legal advice. So as soon as somebody is arrested, an advocate turns up at the police station, uh, usually giving very, very good advice. Sometimes maybe the advice is not as good as we would like it to be, but nevertheless, it, it is there. And it's a general solidarity. But the other thing that I think is extremely important is we don't need to be isolated. Comrades who are fighting in countries like China, in Russia, in Belarus, uh, people who are fighting, for example, in, in Afghanistan, Myanmar, where maybe we don't have organisations uh, in the ISA. But the key thing is that they feel the solidarity from other countries. And if we are going to, if this solidarity is going to have any purpose, it's to build a strong organisation in each country that can fight for a socialist change. And so one of the key issues in all these solidarity campaigns is to treat them as political issues and to make sure that they are used to build the forces of socialism in your own country. 
And I think the example of the Chinese Hong Kong solidarity campaign, the international has set up is a, is a brilliant example of that. It's used politically to help build the organizations in the other countries, as well as to give solidarity to the comrades who are struggling in China, Hong Kong, uh, and so on. I think this is a great point because obviously, if you can organize the solidarity uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, protests and uh, do whatever you can, this is so good. But I think that the main thing is to join us. It's to build this organization that has this international solidarity at its core, uh, not just when something happens, but generally because the situation is global. The system is global. The situation is global. So we have to fight against it together. And I would also uh, uh, encourage everyone uh, to contact us to join but also if you have uh, some uh, the, the ability to donate even a few uh, a few euros a few dollars a few pounds uh, whatever currency you're using uh, to the international socialist alternative we are trying to build this uh, China Hong Kong solidarity campaign that Rob just talked about and of course support our members everywhere in the world around the world but especially in these places where it's much more risky to take the action that we need to take everywhere around the world right now. So thank you so much to uh, Rob and obviously Toya and everyone who's been listening. Uh, this was really brilliant. I'm sure everyone's enjoyed this and uh, we'll see you next time, uh, next week, same time and same place. Bye-bye. This is World to Win. Every Sunday we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When we fight, when we fight, when we fight, Solidarity.